0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of It's Always Personal. My name is Wood. I'm the host here. I have recorded about three of these now, just trying to do an intro to this week's episode of It's Always Personal. And um, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little shook. As long as I've been doing, you know, podcasting for like four or five years now. And uh, this... And I've had a couple of other, uh, you know, well-known figures and personalities, um, so on and so forth, some rappers, uh, some, you know, I've talked to quite a few people. I'm not completely new to this, but this person might come back and listen to this podcast and now it's like putting pressure on me to be... um you know, to, to to be professional, you know. But that's the thing about pod, the podcast space. There aren't many rules to it. But anyway, you saw the title of the episode before you clicked on it. Today's guest is Madeline Woods, former uh, BET news anchor, as well as a host of a video LP. Um, Great talk. Great talk. We did the live stream on YouTube. I think the interview was about an hour and a half. Um, a lot of stuff, man. She's coming out with the book. I don't know how. I don't. I don't know. It, it will discuss her uh, time at BET. A lot of stuff happened, man. I. It's crazy. I'm watching this. We're looking at her, you know, sitting on the couch, interviewing. Uh, You know, different celebrities, actors, um, R&B groups and artists. And um, behind the scenes, a lot of stuff was going on. I did not realize that she was fired from BET. I do not recall that. So that right there tells you kind of what we get into we also, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to her was because, um, I wanted to talk about BET then versus BET now, and it be more than just, I hate this shit that they do now. This 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 shit is trash. I keep telling, I keep mentioning that you know, this all of this. A lot of your frustrations with a lot of things go back to money. Plain and simple. And if you don't follow the money and can't look at the reality of money driving decisions and changes and whatnot. Then you just you're refusing to live in in the real world. Perfect example perfect example I don't know of a better I don't know of a better product that I have bought than that I have bought ever since I've been buying shit I don't know of a better product than an iPod classic or a classic iPod the one I don't know 2000 circa 2003 or something maybe you know 2005 it was silver chrome i guess um but it was it has some heaviness it has some weight to it um the spin wheel it's my favorite my favorite product I, all the jordans and shit i ever bought and wasted money on the fubu platinum denim or whatever that shit was called maybe even some vehicles that i've bought the f- my, the best product that had the best utility, the shit was perfect. Was that iPod Classic? Two cats in minute in, in um in um
1: where the fuck was
0: I? Uh, I went to Wisconsin. The hell is in Wisconsin Why was I in Wisconsin? I went to Wisconsin for a boxing match, for a fight. And right, be- Milwaukee, man, I'm tripping, Milwaukee. Two brothers in, I don't want to call them brothers, but you know, I, I try not to use the N word, man. But these two young punk ass ninjas in, in Milwaukee, went in my, uh, the, the guy that I rode with, who didn't know how to lock his freaking car doors. Right, bef- uh, with within a minute, of us getting ready to go to get up to leave to the car to drive to drive back to Dayton, Ohio. Less, I mean, couldn't have been more than 90 seconds, and we would have been headed that way. We were finishing, we were finishing the continental breakfast shit. Worst decision I ever made to stop and get and get them damn waffles. But before we got out there, uh two ninjas went and ran through the we were driving through the parking lot looking for unparked uh, unlocked vehicles and they found one before we sat down to eat i put my bag in the car and then we went back in to eat and like i said about 90 seconds before we went to go get back in the car they went in the car and took the bag dude i was with saw the the the, the guys leaving the trunk they didn't cleaned out the whole car We run out there to try to stop them, and and the shit that they stole from me actually was a pair of J's, some Fives, the all-black ones, with the metallic tongue on them, and then my iPod Classic. Some Beats, some Beats uh, headphones, the wireless joints, it was a Christmas present. They cleaned me the fuck out. But that was my favorite, that was my favorite product ever. what added insult to injury they quit making them shits they quit making them the best product in the world and this shit this is the iPod killed Sony and the Walkman killed that shit for Sony killed Sony's business the iPod they don't make the iPod anymore because it costs too much to make the shit to get the pieces to get the components to make it. Another thing is they didn't really want it because when the later generations came out, either the third or the fourth generation, somewhere around there, that's when they took the, uh, they took the spin wheel off of it and it just became all touchscreen, and it became a place to, that could do, uh, could handle transactions. You could buy your songs on there. You could download music on there. As long as you had a Wi-Fi signal. The iPod Classic did not do that. So not only did it cost a lot to make that shit, according to... I, I watched the video on the CEO talk about it. He said he, couldn't, said he couldn't get the components anywhere. But along with it being expensive as hell to make, allegedly or supposedly after you bought it, they couldn't get in your pocket anymore. So it didn't make sense to, to provide that model, even though anymore, even though it's one of the best products of all time, had to be one of the best products of all time. I wanted to say I had like 4,500 songs on there, maybe even 7,500. My iPod was the shit. Another fr- and, and the thing is they at a, at a certain point I, I I was I was pissed man I was pissed for months But anyway and I went off on not a I went off on that tangent um Madeline Woods just gave me a lot of information completely changed my uh, my line of questioning I didn't get into much of this shit once she started explaining some different things. I wanted to do sh- I wanted to do the interview over here all audio just on on a phone call. And um she texted me back and said uh you know is it audio or video? And I'm like, man that video would do nice on my YouTube channel. That video would do nice. Numbers wise. Maybe get some new subscriptions, some scar- new subscribers, and you know, hopefully the video would run up the numbers, the, the the views. I haven't checked back in. We just finished it about 20 minutes ago. Uh, a, a friend of mine, a high school friend of mine, a huge Tribe Called Quest fan, fellow Tribe Called Quest fan. Uh, she tuned in and watched a lot of the uh, a lot of the interview. And quickly, I don't expect everybody to to, you know, even with this podcast, I don't expect you to listen to two hours, ninety minutes, an hour and twenty-five. Well, that's basically the same thing, but anything. I don't expect you to listen to this all to this all at once. The beauty of the podcast is that it's downloadable or it's portable, or both. YouTube, somebody has to sit and watch a screen the entire time to get the you know to 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 watch the the content. You gotta have your phone open, it's burning uh your battery, so on and so forth. If you use something like podcast um attic, that's the name of the app that I use where I get all my podcasts. You can listen to a podcast, you can listen to 15 minutes here, you can listen to the next 20 minutes there. You go to cook, you can listen to another 40 minutes somewhere else. You don't have to sit in. You don't have to eat the whole steak in one sitting. With this shit, with this content shit, man, you got to educate people, your audience. Entertain them, inform them. And then you got to get the and then podcasters have to try to get the payoff, which is. Can you leave me a review? If you like I saw the numbers picked up on a lot of different episodes in the last two weeks. That was one of the goals in getting the podcast listed on Apple Podcasts because a lot of people have iPhones. Google Podcast, it's been on there. I don't know how many people search Google Podcasts. And then it's also on Spotify. But could you please leave if you if you do have an iPhone and you use it, you find it on the Apple Podcast app, can you take a second and rate? The podcast, preferably four or five stars, preferably five stars, and then just leave a short review. Entertaining guy, thoughtful guy, diverse subject matter. He gets good guests. He he broke down some movies and some stuff in some 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 uh, so his music commentary. You know his album reviews. I know it's something that I do. That's that's worthy of, of six words. Shit, just put these dope. <laughs> just put wood is dope. Not wood is a dope. But just put wood is dope. AF, capital AF. But no, seriously, man, I said in 2021 I wanted to focus on the, the audio-only podcast a lot more. I wanted to get guests that people care about or you know fit some kind of story that I want to get out there and um Madeline Woods was nice enough to give me some time funny thing is somebody that I had I fell out with once told me that they had a a, a relationship not that kind of relationship but they had a relationship with um Madeline Woods and had done something or we're, we're going to do something or they they kept in touch or something And basically the person just told me this, like, little boy, go away. Like, whatever you trying to do with your writing and your shit, you know, little boy. And then here it is, you know, I ended up following off of me and her having that Damn. after having that, that bad exchange, um, and thinking it through, I followed uh, Madeline Woods on Instagram for something. And then just, you know, I commented here and there. And 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 then we kind of had a rapport going on. And um, for 2021, I was like, man, I'm going to try to shoot my shot. Again, not that kind of, and not in that way. And you come on and, you know, let me get this interview in. So anyway, she came on, she talked about, um, she mentioned a rapper who wanted to kick her ass after an interview she said one thing that set her apart from you know a lot of her peers was the fact that um in addition to talking about their albums and you know their music and concerts and shit she would ask like other shit and dig in people's personal lives but not from on no gossip shit but based on her journal journalism background one person from def jam that everybody knew didn't take too kindly to the shit um what else i'm trying to give you some of the highlights that you listened to the entire interview um there's something else So she was fired um <coughs> excuse me I don't have any way to edit that out. I apologize, but um, I'm trying to give you one more. Oh, I asked one of the things that I kind of stumbled on was why didn't some of the the people from BET that turned it into that really got it out the we say get it out the mud when they turned that thing into what they turned it into going into the two thousands to the arts. And after all of these individuals um, got off of BET, why didn't they get, get some high profile with that type of success collectively and individually? Why didn't, why didn't any of these people land anywhere else? Like the latter generation of BET hosts with AJ and Terrence J they, you know, they went on to do some mainstream shit. I was like, you guys were killing it. Why didn't you pop up anywhere else? There's a reason. at least specifically in uh, Madeline's case. So that's some of the stuff to check for on the discussion. Um, Hopefully you tune in and and, and see the other things that I was trying to drill down to. Um, Hopefully you, hopefully you, you see that anyway, man, let me get, get ready to get into that interview. Um, Is there anything else that I wanted to mention? I don't think so I will say a quick entertainment note um, check out 13 and Feral match. 13 is spelled TH1RT the number 3 N so that's 13 with a 1 and a 3 and then Feral Mach. they have a project called uh, A Magnificent Day for an Exorcism this shit is fire one of the best albums I've heard in uh, in a minute. Even over all that old Griselda shit that I've been reviewing and talking through, this is real grown man, real man shit. Um, this Pharrell Mash project, like it's it's a uh tower towering tour de force triumphant all that shit you would see in quotation marks for any uh critique this shit is i'm proud of it. this is this is one of the projects that makes me proud of hip-hop and, and and what hip-hop can always do and every so often does check that out i'm getting ready to actually i'm gonna go and do a review of it over on youtube shit was shit is just, and 13 is a band so it's um it's a guitarist, a bass a bassist and a drummer and then somebody on some songs plays some other you know keys or there's a horn or something on there but it's it's a dope album man it's heavy it's rebel or it's rebellious shit is dope but anyway I've i've rambled on enough talking about ipods and shit and taking me back to that dark space when somebody lifted mine off of me I uh, could I'm not a violent like what did uh what did Malcolm X said? I'm not a violent man, but but if I if I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> Whatever he said in that in, in the movie. Um yeah, on the other side of this break, man, Madeline Woods. I'm sorry. I'm also so I knew I was gonna mess that up. I am trying to do a um, at the same time, I'm trying to do an episode of my uh, over here on YouTube. And then I also wanted to put this up on my uh, on my podcast. It's always personal, which is up on Google, Apple podcast, as well as Spotify. So I have that recording. And now I just want to get to my guests. I want to welcome to the show. Madeline Woods.
2: I love it. Thank
0: you. Thank you. So, um, I appreciate your time today. Um, like I said, I I just wanted to be able to get into different discussions this year and, um, tell different stories and live out my dreams. So I'm, I'm honored that you took out some time to join me and hopefully, um, you know, we get into something entertaining. Okay.
2: Well, I love it. Thank you for having me. And let me just say that I enjoy you on Instagram. That's how we met, Mm -hmm. you know, following each other on Instagram. I love the posts that you put up. I like how you think. I like what you talk about. So I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I I actually haven't been on there in like the last two or three months.
2: Right. I noticed.
0: Some stuff pissed me off, Uh, you know, what's going on in the world right now and we'll get into some of that. So I won't get ahead of that. Um, okay. But, but what I did want to know, one question for starters was, um, you know, what's your thoughts on podcasters and amateurs like me and kind of what's been going on maybe the last four to five years with, uh, like I said, guys like me coming into the space and, and kind of how it's impacted, you know, radio and media in general.
2: Well, first of all, I'm so jealous of all of you because you have been early adapters and jumped right into the technology and been able to produce content. And that's where our world really lives right now, being able to jump on your phone or your laptop or your your uh, tablet and be able to, to uh, watch content. So it's definitely had a major impact on traditional media. Um, I, I, I love it because is unfiltered. It's more authentic. Um, you don't have all the, the, the beauty shots with it. It's just real. It's real. What you see is what you get because so many um, amateurs, to use your word, uh, are doing it now. And the reality is, you know, we're not doing brain surgery here. I've been in this business maybe, geez, 30 something years now. And so just watching how it's evolved, uh, I'm excited by it. I'm just praying for the day where I have enough disposable time where I can jump in and really, you know, grow a platform for myself. I'm tired of working for folks. You know?
0: <laughs> and, that, and that was kind of the genesis of me and you talking, you know, offline and whatnot was like, yeah. I, I was encouraging you to take advantage of that because you have a, you know, you obviously have a name. I'm assuming you have a, a, a network and can get guests that I can't get to. So, um, that's yeah. great. That's great, and I look forward to you eventually, you know, migrating over to the space.
2: Yeah, I'm coming. Yeah. Um, so for
0: for me today is a pretty big day uh, in terms of you know you joining me as a as a guest and whatnot. Uh, what was your first big interview once you started out onto this?
2: My very first big interview. Um, I think when I was an intern for the CBS affiliate here in D.C., my very first interview was with uh, Martha Stewart. And this is when she was first coming into her own as a lifestyle guru. And um, she was in town, she had just published her, I think it was either her first or second book. And it was a beautiful book um, about her recipes and you know other crafts and things that she does. And I went down and interviewed her and she was really snotty and snappy to the crew. Now I'm an intern. She's really snotty and snappy to them. But when she sat in that chair with me, it was all grace. It was all um, kindness. We had a fun time together. I wish I had that video, you know, because when you're into this and you're, you're doing it, you don't think to actually collect things and store them away for the future. So you can really refer back to it and be like, wow, I did that. And so, yeah, that was my very first and big interview I ever did. And um, I would love to talk to her today. In fact, when I do get started, I'm going to go back and revisit that with her and so many other people. um, After I did Martha, this again, this was with the CBS affiliate affiliate here in DC. I was an intern. Um, They sent me out to interview Run DMC because they were in town for a big concert. And so I got a chance to sit down with them and talk to them. And, you know, when you're sitting there and you're a fan, you know, that's when I learned how to have some presence and some um, composure, because I didn't want to walk in being like this fangirl, even though I was going to be at the concert that night. (laughs) I didn't even tell him that. I didn't even tell him that. I walked in because I always believed that you have to, and this is such a cliche, you got to fake it until you make it. And so I walked in looking like I was a reporter. Um, I had the crew with me. I had my questions prepared. And we just had a running conversation. And it was great. It it was just wonderful. And I learned that day that it's not so much about getting caught up in your head about reporting as much as it is about having a conversation. And I think as my career went on, that was the one thing that separated me from a lot of folks that started out when I did and even some of my colleagues. I just sat down and talked to people. I didn't try to do a checklist of I got to talk about this. I got to cover this. You know what I mean? Right. Think it makes a difference.
0: That's kind of how I do my thing. I'm just, I'm just teaching myself with what I'm doing. And like you said, finding my voice and mm-hmm. I've always just approached it. Like I want to ask different subjects what I always wanted to know when I was listening, watching you do your thing and, and, right. and many of your peers.
1: Yeah.
0: Nobody was asking the question that I wanted to be asked. So that's right. kind of my, my, uh, my North star, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts about when the streets, quote unquote, became your peers or your competition or, you know, became media? Um, you have Noriega over with his Drink Champ podcast. You have the t- the trio that is, um, you know, the Breakfast Club.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, all of these other, you know. They're doing they're, it. They're endless. But what did you think when, when, when they started coming into, you know, the role that you filled?
2: I thought it was wonderful. I mean, it's space for everybody. The internet is is endless. You know what I mean? And I've never been the type of person that thought this is just for me or, you know, I'm the star and I got to do this. I always thought it was room for everybody. And I still believe that. Um, and I just sit and admire because I watch everything and everybody and I study them. Because when I do come back and I get my own platform, you know, I want to know what's going to work. I want it to work for me. I'm going to be myself, but I need to understand how this whole thing comes together. But I love them all. I love them all. I may not agree with everything that they say or do or cover, you know. And sometimes I'm sitting there looking at my laptop, cursing and, and disagreeing <laughs> and, you know, be like, "This is my, it's crazy, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, again, I think it's space for all of us. I think each one of us has something to say. -hmm. And it's a blessing that we have this medium now where we can talk about it. You know, right? I think it's important. So you come from, you know,
0: your uh, you know, you get your education together in this, and you get you you do your internships, two degrees, two two degrees, and then you um you do your internship, yeah. You, You know, I'm I'm assuming you get some mentorship from a Donnie Simpson. All of them. And all of them.
2: All of them. JC Hayward here in DC, she gave me my voice when I first started. She told me that I talked too high. I sounded like a girl. And I was like, Oh, I am a girl. But she was like, No, you have to have some authority. You have to have some timber and some texture in your voice. And so I went home and practiced and made my voice mature. You know, because that's really what she was trying to tell me. I sounded too young. Right. And well. so um, it was a little offensive at first. My dad didn't like it. When I came home and told daddy what she said, he was like, I ain't going to tell you what he said, but that's my daddy. So, of course, he's (laughs) going to react to (laughs) it. But, um, you know, it was good advice. Um, Going back to what you just asked me, um, it's amazing to me because you're right. I got two degrees. I did the internships and y'all just showing up with your phones and just (laughs) bam, just doing it. But again, it's the evolution of the world. You know, the best thing that happens in life is that things get simplified. And that's what's happened. You know, whereas when I first started in this business, I was a one man band. I had a camera. I used to lug around about 60 pounds of equipment every day. Um, I had the camera, I had this big tripod, I had a sound deck. So that's three big pieces of equipment. Then I had to go back to the van and get a get a light or get a, a light out of the truck. Right. So I'm schlepping all this stuff around and y'all just showing up like this, pushing play. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love. I love it, you know? I think it's the coolest thing. Uh I love technology um and I think we're moving in the right direction. And again, it you can't have too many voices. Everybody got something to say.
0: Now, with that though, do you think a level below the breakfast clubs and the sway in the mornings and everything, there are a lot of, you know, thousands of guys like myself. Uh one thing that became a bit problematic for me a couple of months ago, was uh, especially getting into when COVID first started coming out. You have a lot of individuals online running and in, in conspiracies and, and what I thought, what I feel it's a lot of stuff being put out there and nobody rarely does anybody back any of it up with anything substantive. So does that part of it get a little reckless for you? That is it's all of that is unfiltered.
2: Um, I think that it's, it's judgment. And I don't think anyone should ever sit in front of a screen or listen to, you know, some audio and not question it. I think no matter what you hear or or see, even on television, because there's a lot of misinformation there, too, on these newscasts with these reputable journalists. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And the one thing that I think we all have to do as just humans is um, develop some judgment and do your own legwork. Every time I hear something, the first thing I do is I go look it up and verify it or disqualify it. And that's how you have to be. Otherwise, you're a sheep just getting pulled into whatever direction the loudest person is pulling you into, you know, because there's a lot of noise and clutter out there. To your point, there's a lot of noise. Um, But.
0: It's not going away.
2: It's just the way, yeah, it's not going away. This is this is what it is. So you gotta be discerning and decide who you're gonna trust, who you're gonna listen to, and what you're gonna follow. And that's why it's so important, Rich. Let me say this: that's why it's so important to have some integrity in this business, you know, and that's why it's so important that you have these independent platforms because. In traditional old school media, when we were coming up, there were so many um, things that happened, and you've heard the stories and everything, um, where it could easily become compromised, and if you didn't play that game, you didn't stay on long. Wow! You know, and I'm gonna leave that there for you to ask me a follow up question. <laughs> I might come back to that.
0: I might come back to that. Um, the the one thing that, like I said, with getting okay. into the COVID stuff, um, a guy was trying to, was online. I commented on something, and somebody replied to me, and was like, you know, brother, you just, uh, you know, you you relying on that old media, uh, you don't realize it's thousands of us across the country with our phones and with our, uh, you know, digital rec- voice recorders and whatnot, mm-hmm. and we're doing all the work and telling the real story, and I'm just like, but. I'm sorry, bro. But like you, one person can't really cover everything. You're telling me that nothing is going on at the, Nothing is really going on at the hospital or this and that. But I'm like, but you don't know how to go and request for public records or whatever that stuff is. Like, right. it's a lot of loops that have to get closed. True. And I'm sorry. I'm like, I can tell by your, the limit, how, how limited what you're saying is I, I can tell you it's a, it's a lot of, other parts to the story that you're just not tapping into. Yeah. So I can't really take you, take your word at face value.
2: Right. So. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that. There are some disconnects. And then that's where my degrees set me apart from folks just, you know, running with this because I know to go and pull medical records or I know to go and do a Lexis search to look at the research to back up whatever comes out of my mouth. You know, and a lot of people aren't doing this. You know, we have a whole bunch of woke people out here, and that's not, you know, a diss to anybody. We have a lot of woke people out here who have done some reading and they are learned people, but they haven't done the extensive learning. So they take the piece of information that's new to them and they think it's new to everybody else, <laughs> you know? And they're they're running their mouths about, it. and it's like, boo, yeah, that this piece of what you're saying is true, but you've taken it out of context, and so you need to put this back in context and back it up with the research so that you can tell the entire story. Because I agree with you, there's a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and just lies out there right now. Right,
0: and that's I'm just like you know, instead of clashing with old media, as it's been uh, coined and just totally uh rejecting all of that. You know, I think it's still important to tune in and pick up on some pointers and some cues. I mean, if you're going to do this, you can't always respect your craft and work at your craft and improve right. improve what you're doing and 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 like you said, you got to have some integrity cuz it's it's people um I know I did just did an episode last week talking about that Ashley Babbitt lady who just lost her life at the Capitol. She sat out here and got radicalized by a lot of stuff and lost her life that day.
2: But you know what? She went there to die.
0: Well, she said, yeah, I guess.
2: She went there to yeah, die.
0: That's pretty you much. Know, you are right on that.
2: we got some people out here who really, I mean, and you see it in other countries, too. They believe that they're martyrs. Right. They believe that they have some religious calling or some political calling. And, uh, and they, she she came to D.C. to die. And she did.
0: In so many words, yes. You, if you look at some of her tweets and all of that type of stuff, that mm-hmm. is that is I true. mean she
2: specifically said out of her mouth that if she died when she got here, she was okay with that. You know, and I'm paraphrasing, but if you go back and look through all of her tweets, she was prepared to die for this cause of supporting the ex-president. You know? I ain't that loyal.
0: Nah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Like when he said he was gonna be right beside us. He would have needed on. to be right beside me.
2: You're right, you know. Let let's back that's up. Unfortunate, but you
0: know. Right, and that was just that was just an example, and maybe one of the more extreme examples. But I'm, uh, I do just think um, all I can really do is is watch what I do and say, and that's just how I approach my stuff. If I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm gonna steer clear from it. But that's just mm-hmm. me. Um, but let's get into it, because one thing that I wanted to talk about was um going back to BET and, and how you got there and those two degrees, starting out at the University of uh, Maryland at College right. Park, uh, mm-hmm. and then also uh, a master's in mass communications at Howard. Yep. I just wonder, um, you know, how that experience set you up to go for what you would be doing, you know, in the, in the 90s and um, breaking through at BET?
2: Well, I think that it made me a solid journalist. It really did. Uh, back in the day, and I, know, I don't know where it's ranked right now, but the University of Maryland's journalism program was like in the top three, top five back in the 80s when I came out of school. So we got a good, solid education. We had people like Connie Chung who came out of the University of Maryland. We had, um, and I can't think of everybody right now, but it was a a good hands-on real world education. I interned with the CBS affiliate, the Fox affiliate, the NBC affiliate while I was in school. Um, I graduated in three years from the University of Maryland. And um, and the the way I did that, it wasn't that I was brilliant or anything like that. I was very driven. I went to college halftime when I was in high school. So I would do my my high school classes in the morning and the afternoon. I went to the community college and racked up enough credits to skip a year once I got to Maryland. Well, when I did that, I graduated from college when I was 19 years old and nobody would touch me. I was too young. I was too young. And so I was doing my internships and everything. I said, you know what? Um, My parents didn't want me to leave the area to go to a smaller market to start, because that's what you got to do in this business. That's what you used to have to do. You know, you had to go to this, you know, small town and cut your teeth and, you know, learn the whole process and learn the business. They weren't ready for me to do that. Yes, I said, cool, I'm going to go back to school. I picked Howard, number one, because it was an HBCU. And the whole time I was at Maryland, I partied at Howard. Because it was black. <laughs> Maryland was no so white. you know, And we had such a small uh, population of black people at Maryland. And we all knew each other. And we loved each other. But it was nothing like going across the street or down the street to Howard and partying with everybody over there and getting that whole black experience. So I went there for grad school. And I still missed out. Because it's not like an undergrad. It's not like the four years you get to do undergrad at the HBCU. But in that one year that I was there, I went there specifically because Howard had a radio station and it had a television station. And I said, when I leave Howard, I'm going to have a tape that will put me on the air. And that's what I did. I went over there, you know, I did my coursework. I worked, I interned at the television station there. I didn't get to the radio uh, HUR when I was at Howard because my focus was really TV. I wanted to do TV. I wanted to be a white house correspondent. Okay. That was my initial, initial dream about becoming a journalist. I wanted to stand outside of the white house every morning and talk report back to Brian Gumble on the today show. That's what I wanted to do. Um, it didn't work out like that. But what I did get was a skill set that I could take anywhere in the world. And I think it also helped me become an early adapter to tech. Because again, when I was at Howard, I learned how to do you know, the CG, the graphics. I learned how to run the studio camera. I learned how to mic somebody. I learned how to write. I learned how to um, have presence on camera. Because I became the host of a, a show that's still in the air there. It's called Spotlight. It's a student-run news magazine production that uh, I was selected to host uh, my second semester when I was at Howard, and so being in front of the camera, behind the camera, it's the best preparation I ever could have gotten, and that's why I did it. You know, 19 years old, you know, I had interned at all these places, and they were like, "We putting you on the air?" You know, so I said, "All right." So when I left Howard, you know, with my degree, I uh, I was dating a guy who had gone to South Carolina to start working. And so I was like, I'm gonna go to South Carolina too. So I could be ne- next to near them. And so I started off in Beaufort, South Carolina. Whew. I mean, that's a small, 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 town, <laughs> but I think again, it was good for me because it was so small that, um, the crime rate really wasn't, you know, that bad. It's probably the only reason why my parents let me go Okay. Uh, because at 19 years old, again, at that point I was just 20 years old. I finished Howard in a year. Um, 20 years old now. I'm leaving home. And at this point, my dad was out of arguments. And I was like, listen, I'm doing this. And so they packed me up. They threw a U-Haul on the back of my car. And we went to Beaufort, set me up in my apartment and everything. And I worked there for a year. Same kind of setup. One man band again. Okay. You know, so I got a tripod. I got a deck. And I got a camera with me and the lights. And Beaufort, if you know the climate there, it's like... 80, 90 degrees on a cool day. And it's humid because it's right on the ocean. So my makeup is, you know, running down my face. I got a big afro because, you know, the humidity is sweated out my hair. But again, being an anchor, a reporter, and a one-man band prepared me to the point where, you know, I knew what I was doing from both sides of the camera. Um, I knew how to develop a story because you didn't have a producer. You had to do it all. You had to produce, direct, anchor, host, whatever. It was all <laughs> you. Um, so I knew this business, and you know, I went from there to Charleston for about a year. Uh, ended up in—I was in the South in a very racist kind of situation, and was like, you know what? I don't like this. I don't like how they're treating me because I can shoot. They were making me shoot. Okay. Where the other reporters got a crew. I was like, fuck this, <laughs> you know? So uh, what really made me leave was that I was there the year that Hurricane Hugo hit. Okay. And, you know, being from DC, I didn't know anything about hurricanes and it, it was really scary what they were talking to. And then watching the devastation after the fact, that was a deadly situation. I'm sure you were, well, you may not remember, but H- Hugo killed, you know, hundreds of people. Um, and it really messed up the town of Charleston. So you know, I'm in this situation where my news director and I aren't getting, getting along. I'm watching the other white reporters be promoted over me and get the good assignments and I'm getting the grunt work and I got to shoot for myself. And so I made up my mind when Hugo was coming, I said, I ain't come here to die. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, all my journalistic integrity and all that was out the window because I did not go to Charleston to die. Right. You know, we really weren't setting up accommodations to protect us. We were on our own, but they wanted us to shoot and be live throughout, you know, wall to wall coverage. And so it's so funny because my dad is, was very direct and very like, listen, you belong to me. Right. So you bring your ass home. And it was so funny because he called me because, you know, everybody in the country knew this hurricane was coming and how devastating it was going to be. So he called me and he said, Hey, you coming home? I said, Daddy, I'm at the airport. I got the last flight out of there. I told the news director I was leaving and he told me, she told me that if I left, I wouldn't have a job. I said, all right. <laughs> I got the last flight out of Charleston, South Carolina that day and made it home. It took me 18 hours to get home because the weather was coming in. We got redirected so many times. I ended up After circling and circling and hearing them talk about we're running out of fuel, we finally landed in Baltimore. They bust us back to National so I could get home to D.C. It was it was horrendous. But anyway, um, that weekend, I made it my mind. I wasn't going back. If I had to go back, I was going back to look for a job. And so um, I can't remember exactly when it hit. But subsequently after that, I was watching BET and I just told Lisa this story because, when I got back to Charleston after this, I, I was watching BET and all of us were so in love with BET because it was brand new. It was black. It was us. It was beautiful. You know, back in the 90s, BET was it. The right, 80s. Right. So I was watching it one Saturday morning. And I saw Lisa Johnson come on with Teen Summit. And Lisa was so classy and so intelligent. And I loved how she was having a conversation with these young people and making them think. Okay. And I was like, damn it. I want to do that. I want to work there. So uh, it was Thanksgiving weekend. I put together my news tape. I went to D.C. I didn't have an interview or anything set up. I just called them when I got in town. I landed like that Wednesday morning. No, Tuesday. I landed the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um I called them up and was like, you know what? I talked to Deborah Tang. She was a news director. I said, I'm in town. I'm originally from D.C. I'm working here in Charleston. Would you have a few minutes just to meet with me tomorrow? And she was like, well, yeah, okay. She brushed me off. But she gave me a meeting. So I went over there. I maybe spent 30 minutes with Deborah Tang. Rest her soul. I love this woman. But I spent 30 minutes with her. I showed her my tape. I told her I was just in town working at the NBC affiliate. She's like, how long are you going to be in town? I said, well, I'm staying through Monday. Um, and then I got to go back. Monday, she called me and said, hey, I want you to come back and talk to me again. This is a Monday after Thanksgiving. I go back to talk to her again. And she's like, well, listen, you know, we really don't have anything from you, but I like what you're doing. So, you know, I will to make you an offer. I'm not sure what we're going to do with you yet, but come join us. And I was blown away. So I went back to Charleston with my ass up on my hips like, fuck you. Right, right. They tried to sue me and everything. And I was like, fine, sue me. But you're doing me dirty. I know I got talent. I know I got skills. And they didn't know it, but I knew I had a job. So I was out. And, you know, after that happened to me early on in my career and um, it made me strong enough because watching how that played out for me made me stay true to myself and what I wanted to do, and what I thought my career should be, and how I wanted to carry myself in this business, and that stuck with me ever since. You know, I made reference to sometimes where you have integrity or something like that, and it can work against you, Right? Um, because I got to BET, and I thought I had made it to the Mecca. I thought, ooh, I'm with my people. This is a beautiful situation, and it didn't work out like that for me, and you know, everybody, I don't know if everybody knows, but I was actually fired from BET. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was actually fired from BET. And it really was, it didn't make sense to me because behind Donnie Simpson's Q rating, I was next. Oh, wow. That's how popular I was, that's how much the audience responded to me. Um, that's and this is after Sherry Carter had been there, and Lisa was there, and Bev Smith was there, and right. you know all of this. In the three years that I was at BET, my um, brand, because back then we really didn't have brands, but my brand had grown so much that I had really connected with the audience first in news, then in sports, then in entertainment, then in music that they loved Madeline. And so um, when they fired me, it hurt my feelings so bad it hurt me so bad because it was my people that were treating me the way I had just left the situation in Charleston, Right, you know? And so you will never hear me bad mouth BET because I'm still so proud of what Bob Johnson and Sheila Johnson were able to accomplish. Um, and the reality is all of us were so young over there. If I went back through so many of the encounters I had with my managers, <sighs> Me too would have been just me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We talking about the nineties, you right, know, and right. I'm sorry, Reg, get back to your thing. I can just tell you stories.
0: No, we'll, we'll come back to that. Cause that is part of what I want to know. But, um, I did want to get to, um, you, you mentioned, um, that you wanted to be a white house correspondent and whatnot. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to know, like when you were in high school or finishing up, you know, in high school, middle school, whatever, how did you know what you wanted to do? Because that's what I've tried to go back and talk about on my, it's always personal podcast yeah. is, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, really? and now I'm over here, like I said, teaching myself how to do this and messing around all this stuff. I didn't realize why I was reading the source magazine from cover mm-hmm. to cover and why I had 50 of them in my, uh, in my closet. Yeah. I didn't know that that's what my interest was was in. And I, and before you get to your answer, I just wanted to share, um honestly it's a it's a guy on Fox Sports right now I can't even think of his name Nick Wright and he mentioned that um a couple uh, a couple months ago he said that he he idolized um Bob Costas and mm-hmm. he said he said he went and looked up what Bob he was from Kansas I believe from Kansas City Nick Wright and he said he went and looked up what Bob Costas did to get where he was and so all the way from Kansas City Nick Wright went to Syracuse because that's where, um, that's where Bob Costas went to school and he just took every step that he took. I guess I just wasn't on it like that back in the day, but I didn't look at Stuart Scott and go Google. Well, there was no Google, but I didn't go look and see what Google's, I mean, what a, what a, Stuart Scott did to be where he was, or what you were doing. Everybody just seemed galaxies away from me here in Dayton, Ohio, and nobody in my family had n- d- done anything. So it just clicked for me like a, it was like it was like a light bulb went off that just my circle and my surrounding and you know my circumstances kind of limited that situation. So how did you know? Now that I ran my mind. Um, well,
2: it's funny because. My family really thought I was going to be a doctor. I was super smart, um, very good in science, uh, okay in math. But I had an interest for caring for people and doing things. And again, I excelled in science. So we really thought I was going to be a doctor. And then I think it was fourth grade. I heard my sister say she wanted to be on TV. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And so I'm listening to her talk about she was going to be a journalist and everything like this. And I said, huh you know? And so my dad was shooting it down because again, my dad's old school and was under the impression the only way you can be on TV is, you know, from sleeping with people and, <laughs> and doing this, this old school Southern black man. I mean, this was his reality. And so I kept it to myself. And when I got in middle school, I started writing for, just writing for myself, writing my own stories. And I knew I had the aptitude because just like I was really great at science, I was excellent in language arts. I could write my butt off in first grade. I mean, I was just writing things. And I was a great speaker. I think the first time I actually got up and recited something, I was three or four years old. And I literally learned a poem in the summer program that my sister, older sister, I'm the youngest, my older sister was supposed to do, but they were nervous. They didn't want to do it. So they gave it to me. So they actually rehearsed me and practiced me. And Maybe I was four years old. I stood up in front of this entire auditorium and recited this poem or whatever it was then by myself. So that let me know then that I had the aptitude. And really, at four years old, I did. I started reading when I was three years old, I think, on a road trip in the car. Um, And and I have to say this because I like to put things in perspective. I think I was so advanced because I had two older sisters. And anything they did, I idolized it and I wanted to do it. So if they were reading, I was over there. Showed a reading too. You know, it's three, four years old and I picked it up and my mother was an English teacher and she worked with me. So this was just an innate natural ability that I had to be a storyteller, to be a writer and to not get nervous. <laughs> and so when I was um, in middle school and I started thinking about college and everything, I kept thinking, I really want to go to college for four years and then another four years and then four years residency. And you know, I didn't want to study that much. I just didn't. So I said, I got this talent. Let me grow this. And that's what I did. By the time I got to high school, I was on the paper. I was, um, you know, we had our morning announcements. I was doing all that kind of stuff. So I knew that I had a voice that I had a personality and that I had the uh, aptitude and intellect to back it up. I'm going for journalism. So that's how I knew.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm jumping around a little bit, but we do have a couple people watching the show on um, YouTube and whatnot, and I want it to be interactive and whatnot. Okay. Um, let me jump back to Jennifer Williams. I think she might also be a HU grad, I believe. You can correct me, uh, Jen, if I'm wrong. But she asked, um, and I was getting ready to get to this, but she asked, um, how do you feel about the change of influence BET has had over the years, specifically there in the D.C. area? She's in. The, she's in the DMV.
2: Oh, she's hey, actually girl. a classmate
0: of mine. I've been. I told her what I was doing today,
2: uh, but she tuned in. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for tuning in. Um, if I'm honest, I appreciate what BET does from uh, a production standpoint. Uh, Content-wise, I'm disappointed. Because we've gotten so far away from being a voice for our people and for being um, the source for our people. Because back in the 90s when we did news and our voices and um, the specials that Ed Gordon traveled all over the world to do, we have a void for that right now. You know, and and the general market does some of it, but they don't do it like you would do it when it's really personal to you. And so I'm disappointed with that. But at the end of the day, everything is a business. And if this is how Bob Johnson saw the evolution of his dream playing out, so be it, you know? I can't force my wants and desires on him or Viacom. That's what's happening. Um, As far as being in the community, I don't know what BET does in the community anymore. When we were at BET, we were everywhere, everywhere. I mean, if something was happening in the country that had a black spin to it, we were there. Angela, Ed, myself, Sherry, Lisa, Prince de Jour, all the sports guys, Charlie Neal. We were at HBCUs. We were at the Million Man March. We were in South Africa with Mandela. We were, you know, live with it. Had there been a Black Lives Matter movement, we would have been there. We would have been there. And people would turn us on to see what we had to say about it after they turned off NBC, CBS, ABC. You know, so I I, I miss that. But who knows what's next? You know, everything, you know, there are trends to everything, unfortunately. Not unfortunately. Let me say that because if I got a call tomorrow, I'd be on the housewives. (laughs) But (laughs) LATV is what the moneymaker is right now, you know? And so it's about business. This is what is happening with BET.
0: Got you. Also, um, Corey Evans was in here. He asked, I asked you, who was your first big interview that kind of made you nervous and whatnot? Uh, He asked, who was your most favorite interview? And I just... Before you get into that, I saw where you in your bio it said that you'd interviewed uh, Trump before Mike Tyson and a bunch of other people. But to his question, who was your most favorite interview?
2: Uh, I think that the conversation I had with Mike Tyson might have been my favorite. And maybe that's just because you just mentioned his name to me. But and I tell you why. Mike had just come out of prison. Um, we were in Connecticut at his house. And he was just so honest and genuine and accountable and um, real with it that I fell in love with Mike Tyson. I'm a Mike Tyson fan to this day. This man can do no wrong for me because he is a genuine human being. He recognizes his faults. He recognizes his mistakes. He's accountable and he wants to do right and live right. And I just I love that about him. Uh, we talked about you know what happened with the young lady. We talked about um, you know his boxing career, his anger issues. We talked about everything, and he just was very candid and just very comfortable in sharing and you know, I I loved interviewing him. Um, who else that might've been my favorite? It's hard to say because I went from, you know, news over into entertainment. And so I've talked to everybody from Denzel to uh, J.D. Pinkett Smith to uh, all the R&B stars and hip hop stars of the 90s. And I can't say I have a favorite. I made some really good friends. Um, I, I, was really impressed with a lot of people and really fell in love with a lot of people and there were people I was really disappointed by, you know, getting that chance to sit down with, oh my gosh, I'm gonna interview so and so and so and be like, ooh, afterwards like <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. I've been
2: so Disappointed. But again, that's humanity. You know, people will let you down. Right. That's just the way it is. Um I was actually
0: getting ready to start with the B E T, but I wanted to get those questions in there since people were right. kind enough to spend some time over here while we we're live.
2: Streaming.
0: Um both of them live in the DMV area too. Okay. When uh, come
2: over, maybe I'll see you in the street somewhere.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Um you you just mentioned touched on one thing that was me talking to myself. Uh why is it that BET and I I think in in retrospect like black entertainment TV was kind of uh, shortchanging itself cuz it was more black lifestyle With like you were mentioned with uh, shows on Faith, the sports, HBCU coverage, Mm -hmm. travel, you know, cooking, all of that stuff. It was awesome. Um, But I just felt like maybe seven years ago, I started noticing um, what's going on now at ESPN where it's turned a lot of mainstream viewers off with so much discussion about race and whatnot. Although, you know, the biggest, the most um, popular leagues uh, are comprised of, you know, over 70% of black athletes uh, and there's, there's constantly all of these different challenges going on and whatnot. But my thought was like seven years ago, how come, how could BET not capitalize on that, and I just want maybe you could tell me, well, is it an issue with is, is one issue with um, being able to get the licensing or whatever to show the footage or the highlights? But why did why didn't why weren't we helping these brothers and sisters tell these stories in the way that you just spoke about?
2: I can't answer that question because, again, you know, um, at the end of the day, you have to remember that everything is a business and if you don't see the value of and when i say you i mean when leadership right. doesn't see the value and that people will tune in to see these kind of stories um they move in the direction they think is more profitable and that's just what's happened it's it's really come down to you know numbers and and money and this is easy it don't cost no production costs aren't att- attached to it you know we can shoot it we can you know Put it on the air, boom, we got a money maker. News costs money. Documentaries cost money. You know, uh, you've got to get sponsorships. you got to get, you know, uh, well, first of all, any network that does news and documentaries has to pay for it up front. They really don't get sponsored because it can't be influenced. Okay. So you okay. might run commercials through it, but you have to be very careful about getting something underwritten. Um, and again, just to, you know, put on, if this is your focus, as far as entertainment, you want to create a uh, television programming, that's okay. You know, and, and this is what the direction that they moved in. Maybe they'll move back, but I can't. It's, it's business. This is what they want to produce. You know,
0: Got you. actually, I think it was Ray Rice was when I, when, when the situation went down with him and his wife or his fiance at the time in the elevator. Yeah. And again, I never again. That was when I started noticing. Like nobody's talking about the real thing. Um, at that same time, I I was in a in a bowling league, and it was a couple of young women in the bowling league in in, in the bowling league who had young boyfriends. I mean, they were young, obviously, but um, a couple of them had been beat up, and I thought there was a bigger discussion there to be had of why. That, um, situation escalated into what it did and how it played out on screen. I thought there and it, it was like Ray, Ray Rice was just vilified. Like he just wanted to beat his, his fiance up. And I'm like, nah, you know, maybe it's something there. And I, and I understand he couldn't come back from that or after that and whatnot. But I'm still like, this is not just isolated to this one incident it might be some problems in the community that we have in our relationships and how we handle anger and 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 how we you know work through adversity in our relationships it was more there than just getting off you know getting him out of here and, and and be done with him and even after he went through all of the uh he you know he tried to make amends and and atone for it and all of that but it was over for him and i just like i said i just felt like the coverage on espn and what i was hearing from some of my coworkers who were football fans I was like, man, y'all just missing the whole story. And, but then I was like, BT could be in that void.
2: Well, it's unfortunate what happened um, all the way around. Uh, number one, it's inexcusable of what Ray did. It is. It, it was. But the reality, to the point I think you're making, he's not the only one in the league who did that. Okay? We're talking about Brett Favre. We're talking about, um, and I can never pronounce his name, Rosla. Ben Roslerberg, how do you say his name? Roth and I didn't learn his name because I don't like him. I said <laughs> because, because he has a history of yeah. beating women. Yes. So when you think about these two guys who had rape charges and uh, domestic abuse charges, and they were allowed to continue on with their careers, um, yeah, it was wrong what happened to Ray. What Ray did was wrong. Let me be sure that people understand that I feel what he did was wrong. Um, and y- you put up a lot there, Reg, because it's true. Uh, we are a product of our environment. Obviously, there was some anger issues there. Obviously, there were some mental health issues there. Obviously, even for the young lady, she had some mental health issues because she should have walked away. You know, but that's me sitting here in this chair judging and giving you my opinion. I didn't live that. And so I really don't have the right to have an opinion about what happened. I do know if we're only going to look at it from what happened professionally, that was wrong. It was wrong. And in my opinion, he would have a case for um, discrimination. He should have sued the league. He should have done exactly what Kaepernick is doing right now. And case in point, um, who's the white guy who just beat up his black girlfriend? football player.
0: I didn't even look, I didn't even click on it. You know, I kept...
2: I can't even think of his I, name right now. I think he's out of the league or he's suspended or something. I don't know if it's permanent, but I am, want to watch this because I'm like you. I like to watch parallels and I want to see how his story plays out compared to what they did to Ray because they made Ray an actual demon. They demonized this man. Right. And don't get me wrong. What he did in that elevator? That was wrong. That was wrong. I wanted to find Ray at Slack. You know, kick his ass because he he didn't have to do what he did. I don't care what she said, what she did. I don't care. I don't care. He did not have to put his hands on her the way that he did. Should he have lost his career about it? We live in a society now because of all of this connectivity where public opinion is so influential that if they don't like what you did, you got to go. You got to go because it comes back to profitability again. If they complain enough, that's going to affect your sponsors. That's going to affect your money. We can't use you no more. And did you hear what I said? We can't use right, them. Right, right, right. No more. So, and that's really what it plays. That's what it boils down to. If they can't use you, they don't need you. It's that simple. Then you got racism going on. You know, I mentioned Kaepernick for a minute. It makes no sense that boy is not that boy. That man. I, I'm hundred years old, so I say that boy. But it makes no sense. This man is not playing in this league today. Today, he's ready. He could have been playing, you know, but it's because a group of white men, privileged white men own and have the authority to make these arbitrary decisions about who they like and who they don't like and what they're going to you know, stand up or what they're not going to stand up for. They like you can get your black ass and walk. We don't need you. You're causing problems, you know, and again, coming back to profitability, uh, what Kaepernick was doing was affecting their sponsors because... The white contingent complained. They didn't like it, you know, and it always comes back to business. Right now. They've reached a point now where they could do right by him and still do well with business. But that's a whole nother hour. Right, <laughs> right, right.
0: So, um, you break into BT with these, um, these news briefs, the one minute segments yeah. and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. then, um, you know, you get over to being the anchor and and reporting and whatnot. Um, What was your impression of of starting with that?
2: They didn't know what to do with me when I showed up at BET. Um, I had the journalism background, so um, I did it. You know, I could do news, uh, but they already had a star. They had Ed Gordon and everyone going nowhere. And we were working in, and I'm going to say it. Uh, Cause again, it was the nineties. And like I said, had we had me too, then it would have been a whole lot about just me. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but because they already had their star and the men who ran that network, because we really didn't have a woman vice president. I think Debbie Lee was the only one in that C- C-suite kind of situation, but she was illegal. So she didn't really have a lot of say about programming, but uh, the men, who ran the programming, only wanted to see us be attractive and intelligent, but from uh, an entertainment perspective. Um, and I really think that's what happened because I was pitching news magazine shows to them. Okay. Okay. It can be your anchor, but I can do a 60 minutes for you. I can do, you know, so many different ideas that I pitched them, pitched and they just wouldn't do it. The next thing I knew, I was filling in for Sherry Carter with my legs crossed, and my boobs out, my booty showing, you know, because I'm a black woman and I'm attractive and I'm shaped like a black woman. So they put me over there and I was like, I can do anything. So I don't even give a shit. I'll do it. You know, and I did the hell out of it. Then I was filling in for Johnny. Then I was filling in for um, Charlie Neal. I was at the All-Star Game. I was at the Super Bowl. They didn't know what to do with me because as a journalist, I literally could do it all. See? So um, finally, they decided. and, And again, I don't know how they think because I was such a marketable talent for them. Had I been in that chair, I would have grown that. I would have been like, shit, she can do everything. Let's give her this. Let's create, let's create this for for Madeline. Instead of just popping Madeline in these cookie cutter things that are already there. You know, let's let's create something. But they didn't. And again, it's their thing. So they did what they wanted to do. So I started with news briefs. I filled in for Ed, I filled in for Dunny, I filled in for Sherry, I filled in for Angela. You know, I finally landed on video LP and I blew up. Because in addition to being um, a music fan and knowing the music and a hip hop head uh, an R&B head too, I was a journalist. So I'm not just going to let you show up and we're just going to talk about your CD. We're going to talk <laughs> about, you know, we're going to talk about your kids. We're going to talk about the rape charges. We're going to talk about um, how you got kicked off tour because you were high all the time. I started doing that whole intersection of, entertainment and news, okay. which is everything that's happening right now. Right. And my popularity just skyrocketed. And because I was attracted, I am telling it all now, because I was attractive, I started to become bigger than the network um, because people were calling up, asking to be on video LP with me and not Donnie. And that became a problem. That became a problem because... You can have your Ed Gordon, You can have your Bev Smith. You can have your Sherry, your Lisa, your Charlie, your Madeline. But you can't fuck with Donnie Simpson.
1: Right, right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Donnie's the king. So if people are calling up talking about, yeah, yeah, video song is cool, but I really want to be on that couch, on that (laughs) red couch with Madeline. Can can, can you put me on that? That became a problem. You know, and I've always been a very genuine and authentic person. I've never had an ego. I never had an ego. Um, But I've always been... um, because the crew and I would class sometimes because I was so trained that, you know, I'm ready when that light comes on. get it. we're doing work. So I was probably young and harder on the crew than I needed to be. But they sat in that studio with me and enjoyed every show I ever did because I asked the questions that just weren't there on the checklist about, you know, what the label sent me to ask. You know, I never will forget the time. That method, not method man, red man wanted to come back after the show and kick my ass because. Oh, really? Just, oh, I had to call my friends who are artists to intervene and talk to him because he was coming back to D.C. to fuck me up. It was. Really? That oh, my gosh, because they had just done that movie uh, Higher Learning and it was all about smoking weed and being high and this and that and this and that. And we're talking about the movie and then put my journalist cap on. I flipped the switch and said, but what do you think this is doing to the young minds of high school people who see you just wanting to get high all day? And I get it that it helps your creativity. And they went with it. They talked to me and we, we had a conversation. The label went nuts. So when they got back to New York to Def Jam, or yeah, I think they were Def Jam. They got read the Riot Act, which made them mad at me. So Red Man is putting this out there. He's gonna fuck me up. And I'm thinking, whoa, we ain't about to have no Dr. Dre and D. Barnes situation. Right. You know, everybody's gonna mess me up. So I'm calling this one, I'm calling that one, I'm calling that. They're all calling Red Man trying to calm him down. Needless to say, it, it ran its course. It never happened. I bet you if I saw Red Man today, it would be all love. Um, but yeah, it was it was touchy because I didn't do your your straight by the book interviews. But people love that. They loved it. When Jodeci had the rape charges slapped on him, I'm talking to them about, you know, coming up out the country and, you know, y'all country boys and where y'all get all this inspiration about love, but you know about love. And, you know, it's a great interview. And then I say, okay, now we got to talk about the rape. And you can see the entire energy on the set change. Mm -hmm. But I didn't back down. I asked the questions. They were difficult questions. Um, Casey got a little heated, got a little angry, you know, but we had to do that because... In journalism, it would be a disservice if I sat there and pretended like this wasn't going on, you know? And so I would ask the questions. And I think that made me really popular. People liked that. They liked my, uh, Christopher Williams told me one time, he said, what people like about you, I'm talking about Chris Williams, the R&B star. -hmm. He said, you got an edge, Madeline. He said, and you don't back down. You're not afraid. You'll go there. And I was like, well, that's my job. That's my job. You know, so I think the fact that I was so popular, I had Michael Jordan. No, Michael Jordan talked to nobody. No. Mod Rashad and George Michael right here in sports in in D.C. He talked to nobody. I did three interviews with Michael Jordan. Wow. Fucked them up. Fucked them up to the point where and this is when I got fired. I had set up a, um, a, a special I wanted to do. It was called Mike, 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 and me. Okay. So Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, and Mike Tyson. Those were the three mics I wanted to do. That would have been the bomb news magazine talk show with a woman talking to these three big men. So I already had Michael Jordan on. Um, one of my buddies was talking to Michael Jackson for me. So I feel like that was about to be locked up too. Mike Tyson was in, you know, he watches BT. He sees Madeline with the, with the big thighs or whatever they used to say about me with the goods. Um, so he's in. When I got the letter, from Michael Jordan saying that, no, not the letter, when I went to, to uh, leadership and said, hey, I got this interview with Michael Jordan, I want to do it. Ed Gordon had a fit because as the lead news person and evolving into this entertainment spot he was trying to carve out for himself, which I'd already pitched, uh, he felt like if Michael Jordan came to the network and did an interview, it should be with him. Right. And I was like, he don't want to talk to you. want to talk to me. <laughs> I've already interviewed him. I'm sorry for you, but I've already interviewed him. What are you talking about? So um, I got called in by the vice president at the time and tell me about this Michael Jordan interview. And I'm like, what about it? I think it's so exciting. I'm like, I already got you know the questions laid out. This is this. And he's going to come down. We're going to do this. We're going to do a lifestyle blah, 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 cameras. I got it all produced in my head because this is my background. I know how to do this stuff. Right. He says to me, well, I want to know If Michael Jordan wants to do the interview, or does he just want to see you again? I was like, "What the fuck?" You know, I said, "What difference does it make?" This is a gift for the network, right? This is a win for us. How this conversation went down. This is a gift for the network. I had no, I'm not going. This part is in the books. I'm not going to tell it all. But what he said to me was, "I don't care if you get an interview with God." If I don't say you can do it, it's not happening. And I was like, oh, my gosh. First of all, I'm God-fearing. So to say something like that to me, it, it gave me chills. It really freaked me out. Right? So I was like, what? I said, nobody is talking to Michael Jordan, but Amar Rashad, George Michaels. What are you saying? He's like, I want to see if he wants to talk to you. Or if I want to see if he really wants to do the interview, if he just wants to be around you again. I'm like, Whatever. So that goes on, you know, so I called Mike, I'm like, they don't want to let me do the interview. He's like, what? Like they want Ed to do it. He's like, I don't want to talk to Ed. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What is that? <laughs> so I said, okay, they're telling me that I need the league or somebody from the team to send a letter saying that you're, you've agreed to do this interview with me. So I call uh, Michael I'm saying, hey, I need this letter. He's like, write the letter. I'm like, shit, I'll write the letter, I'm gonna write it. I'll write the letter. So he says, send it to this guy. I sent it to that guy. The guy signs it, sends it back. That's still not good enough. I got a letter from the team now saying Michael wants to do the interview with Madeline. Still not good enough. Long story short, from that point, because you can just see from this interview, I stand up for myself. I'm very vocal. I'm very verbal. Um, It got to be kind of a pissing contest between me and the vice president. And two weeks later, I was fired. Wow.
0: So this kind of goes into one thing that I'm kind of fighting in some of the stuff that I was saying on my, on Instagram and some of the stuff that I'm covering on, um, it's always personal Mm -hmm. is that, um, I feel like, especially on YouTube. Um, so, and even Instagram people that go live over there, there's so much, uh, focus on racism and, and white, black, white, black, but you're telling me what I'm talking what, what I'm, where I'm coming from and and, and how I'm trying to address things. That's not the only fight that's out there. I mean, here you are fighting against this network and trying to do things to help the network win. So I I guess what, when I sit here and I listen to some of the individuals uh, who, who sit and just constantly talk about racism is like, you have to be able like you, you did, I'm assuming, uh you have to be you're gonna be challenged by something. Somebody's gonna be some kind of uh resistance to what you're trying to do, and you're gonna have to be able to think and adjust and and make the next move. So I just hear, you know, twenty some thirty years later with me coming out of high school, we're still talking about white and black stuff. And I'm like, that's not the biggest challenges to me. I'm sorry, it's just not. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um I think you're going into sexism now and um probably black on black sexism. Um, just from what I described just now, uh, which is why what happened with Jamel Hill was so groundbreaking. You know, when they tried to silence her, when they tried to uh, destroy her career, because that's what the white boys was trying to do. They were trying to destroy Jamel. And for her to be able to emerge, the winner that she is, first of all, her contract paid out enough startup money to start her own platform and still doing the stuff that she wants to do. That's major. It's groundbreaking. It's just so, I mean, when I saw that whole thing play out, I was so proud of her. I was so happy for her. I was just elated because when you look at the Megyn Kelly's, who can go in there and cry and say, you're treating me bad and get a fat paycheck and go on out. When you look at the Greta, forget her name now. Um, yeah, all, the white girl, all the white girls who came out with this Me Too and sexual harassment thing and got paid from it and were able to launch you know, their own networks, to see that happen for Jamel was just big. If I had known back in the 90s, and, 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 and remember this, nobody at BET back then was over 30 including the vice presidents, they might've been 33, 32. We were all so young and so inexperienced doing all the great things that we did. Um, you didn't know about lawyers and attorneys and brands and you know, um, you, you just didn't know about that. I think also part of my problem was I didn't wanna be the one to reveal the dirty laundry or the shit that happened with the only thing that all of us loved about being black that was on TV, you know what I mean? Right. And a hundred years later, I can talk about it now because the world has changed so much and it didn't just happen to me, it's happening to so many people now. But at that time when that was all we had, I didn't want to be that one. Stupid, you know, but I was young. I was, I think I was 20, 25 or 26 when I got fired. Young in this game. Yes, that's really young, and we didn't have agents back then. We didn't have attorneys. We didn't understand HR. We didn't even have HR. We didn't have an HR department. <laughs> you know, we didn't have it. And I didn't know that. So just to watch the growth that we've had and the um, advancements that we've had is wonderful to see. Right, as a black community we do have so many more issues so much of us doing each other wrong that we have to address but you got to remember nothing happens overnight nothing changes overnight right we have got to work first of all we got to get each other to talk to each other because that situation with just to use because you brought this at that point there should have been some intervention somewhere Uh, where a family member, a friend or somebody, cause this would that wasn't the first time it happened. This is, you know, their interaction. This is how they get down. Um, somebody should have been on the outside looking and say, Hey, I'm going to get y'all some help. We need to go over here and handle this. We need to straighten this out before it gets worse because it got worse. Um, but as again, as Black people, we are so uh, resistant to that kind of thing because of the stigmas that are attached to it because of what's in our heads. You know, we don't want to look like we got problems. We don't want to look like, and all that comes from because we've been told for so many years that we got problems, that we not shit, that we ain't good. That, you know, all this stuff has been baked into us that it's hard for us to get beyond that and do things to help ourselves. But I can see where we're starting to do that. Now, this young, this Gen Z These kids out here, they ain't ain't messing around. They have it figured out. And it's a blessing that they do. They're very vocal. They're very open about their challenges. Uh, And I think it's because they've had the benefit of us as parents on the other side of the shit we had to take, who were saying, well, that ain't right. Now that I'm an adult and I know how this should have played out, let me get the help that you need to go and get this fixed you know, but those are people who are already in, uh, positions and professions that have been exposed to that kind of stuff. We still got a whole bunch of black people that don't have that exposure and they're suffering because of it, you know, and think about most of your football players. Think about the backgrounds that they came from. And I don't know Ray's history. I don't, and I'm not making excuses for Ray or for any man who puts his hands on a woman, but, um, Coming out of certain backgrounds, these athletes are coming from neighborhoods that aren't affluent, that don't have exposure, that don't have access. And so they don't know the difference and they weren't raised or they don't have the resources to be able to correct situations and problems early on. And now we're getting to the point where we're doing that now. These parents now are intervening earlier as black people to get the help and the um, correction that their children need. And it's, it's slowly making a change, slowly making a change. We're also becoming more accepting of each other. You know, before where you had a relative or a friend or something who had a problem, you didn't really want to be down with them because you didn't want that, that whack juice to get off on you too. Right. Now we're finding the resources to try to direct people and uh, not hiding it so much, which is why mental health is such a, a prominent discussion now in the Black community. Male-female relations are such a prominent discussion in the Black community now. We still haven't figured it out, you know, but we need to. And the only way to do it is to keep working at it like we are. I I think where I am now in my life, in addition to the news and entertainment stuff that I want to do, I would love to spend time working with black men and black women to show each other that we are not adversaries and we got to cut that shit out. We have got to talk to each other, accept each other where we are. And if it's not working, go ahead and and be somewhere else. You know, if this isn't working for you and me, Reg, it's cool. You do you, Reg, but I'm going to go be me somewhere else. And we got to teach people um, to be strong enough to walk away. We got to teach women and men to have the confidence that if you do walk away, it's somebody else out there for you. You know, we get caught in that a lot, too, that we don't want to be alone or, oh, oh, I can't be single. Or, you know, I've been married twice. I had so many men. Um, and this is no disrespect to either one of my husbands. But I've always had that confidence in me knowing this man roll out. Men are like buses and trains. It's another one pulling in right behind his ass. You know, and that's how I came up but that's my level of comfort and and confidence um, probably from the environment that I came out of. A lot of women didn't get that training. I would like to have those kind of discussions with women because it's the simplest shit, but if you don't hear it, you don't know it and you don't believe it, but it's true. Right. It's a group, you know? Um, Yeah, we got a lot of ills as Black people, but we got a lot of wins too. We got a lot of wins, and you see that. Uh, We got to start celebrating each other more. We uh, the council situation that we do. So culture, sometimes I'm on board with it. Sometimes I'm not. You know. Um, and again, I think we need to have discussions. I don't. I think everybody is redeemable. I really do. I think everybody is redeemable. I think you got to uh, atone for your problems and the bad situations that you created. I think you got to uh, pay your dues sometimes. Right. But I ain't throwing nobody away. I ain't throwing nobody away. I ain't throwing nobody black away, unless you run with Trump. Then uh-oh. you're on your own. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> then you're on your own. But, uh, but even saying that, I wrote <laughs> like a horse because i really was so disappointed in what he did with that contract with black america which we have not heard another word about since um i i I gave him the blues on social media and i took a lot of flack about that um bill cosby i gave him the blue first of all i didn't i should have gone harder at bill from the beginning but i just didn't believe it you know that that was a tough one i know about it but um the way I knew about it was that these women were willing really participants and you can't, me on the outside looking at, you can't be part of a booty call and then get mad because he don't call you back again. You know what I'm saying? And I think that as women, we have to be honest with ourselves, too, and not take advantage of an opportunity in a situation. And sometimes I think that happens, um, especially with the prevalence of me, too, how that was going. They were going after everybody after men. And I was like, well, how much of this is just you mad right. and how much of this really happened? You know, and that's just me on the outside looking in saying and I'm not disrespecting women, but everybody lies, you know. Who's lying and who's telling the truth? Let's just really look at this before we start destroying lives over this stuff. Because right. we were on, it was a runaway train. They were like you and you and you and you, was and, you and you everybody every week. It was a black man and the white boys were skating free until Matt Lauer. <laughs> but his stuff was so egregious, he couldn't skate. You know, him
1: and
0: Charlie Rose that. as well.
2: Charlie Rose, Charlie Rose. I got in trouble about that because I got a Gail's <laughs> ass on social media because I was like, How are you going, how are you gonna sit up here and crucify R. Kelly? And don't get me wrong, R. Kelly's fucked up. And we knew that back in the 90s. Got <laughs> a situation. But how are you gonna sit up here and be so hard on R. Kelly? Michael Jackson. How are you gonna sit up here and be so hard on Michael Jackson, Gail and Oprah? And you sitting beside Charlie Rose every morning, grinning and skinning, and you ain't said shit. Never, you said nothing. Never, don't tell me you didn't know. You you can't make me believe that. So, that's that's our own again stigmas and integrity because she got to eat, she got she need her job. What she looked like going up against the network, you know? She ain't Megan Kelly. She, what's that other white girl? I can't think of her name right now, but anyway, Van Susteren,
0: uh, huh? Van
2: Susteren, not that great. It was somebody oh. else. Yeah, I
0: I, I I can't think of the name right now.
2: But but anyway, the point is, I was mad at Gail, but I understood Gail. The Snoop Dogg thing, I was mad at Gail, but I was also like, Gail, you can't sit up here and pretend like, you know, you don't have any illness in this situation. Right. At least say, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, gone this hard. I should have said something about Charles. There's no way she sat in that chair across that desk from him from him every morning for a year or two and didn't hear the scuttlebutt you you know it just doesn't work like that so anyway
0: yeah she's not know. that naive
2: um yeah. i wanted to get on with
0: um life after bet um yeah. like you said you guys did all of this stuff your your by your mid-20s and whatnot yeah. you have this phenomenal q rating and you know you you're um uh, you're a legend, you know, in uh, hip-hop after that Tribe Called Quest line and whatnot. It's
1: and you're doing
0: you're doing your thing. Um, why did everybody just move on? And it seems like your group, we didn't see many of you guys re, uh, resurface on similar levels. Whereas we, after this, the the, the later group with, um, what did the one brother went to... Uh, Uh, A couple of them went to, like, Entertainment Tonight or something.
2: Terrence J. Terrence Terrence J.
0: And then the one with the braids, too, that cut his dreads up.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, all
0: of them went and did stuff.
2: By that time, all of us had taken all the lumps that people understood about brands and marketing and um, social media presence and agents. See, none of us had agents. None of us had anybody promoting us. It really started with Joe Claire. Joe Claire was the first one to break through the clutter, you know, because I think Joe got uh, uh, um, either a Nike commercial or a Foot Locker commercial, something. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: That was big coming out of BET. You know, people started to value the. The brand presence that we carried, and that's because the network started to promote people and understood marketing and branding and started to promote that. When we were there, the only brand that existed was Bob Johnson and Johnny Simpson. That was all that counted, all that counted, you know, to rise above and and emerge out of BET. Uh, Ed Gordon made a little name for himself, and he made it to MSNBC, and I'm not sure what happened, but the next thing I knew, Lester Holt was there. You know, right, right. Uh, and Eric had disappeared. And he's had some starts and stops along the way, but he really hasn't uh, had the trajectory that uh, Lester Holt has enjoyed. So it was just timing. And for the ones of us who actually paved the way, we were ahead of our time. We were really ahead of our time. Had we been doing what we did then, now we would be major brands. Uh, for me personally, when I left BET, I got blacklisted. You oh, know, wow. I got blackballed. Wow. So nobody would hire me. I went to VH1. It was an easy transition based on the following that I had and the Q rating and the popularity. They should have picked me up. BET called and talked to VH1, and that killed it. MTV should have wouldn't touch me. And you know, and it was it was really bad because the way that they dogged me, they tried to to make me look like. I was a whore. They tried to make me look like, you know, I was this loose woman. They tried to make me look like everything that people are using now to make money with everything that they attribute to, um, uh, Meg and Cardi and the Kardashians who have made a fucking multimillion dollar, probably billion at this point, yeah, empire. Yeah. You know, they try to put that on me. Oh, she's sleeping with this one. She's sleeping with that one. She's sleeping with this. One, she's... I didn't do that. Did I date people? Absolutely. Um, but as a woman, I'm not supposed to date, you know, um, in their mind and in their, in their eyes. But that was, again, part of that whole patriarchal, sexist environment where they came out and they gossiped about me so much. And what they didn't understand was that the key to a good interview is relationship. Right, I and agree. So- If Teddy Riley came to town and said, I want to take this girl to dinner, I was going to dinner. And you know why I went to dinner? Because that was my pre-interview. I sit at dinner and I ask you all kind of questions and get that's how Michael Jordan and I got together. I met Michael Jordan at a celebrity golf tournament that BET sent me to play in. He was there. He saw me, latched on to me and then found out I was cool. We were inseparable the rest of the weekend. I've never slept with Michael Jordan, never had an intimate situation with Michael Jordan, never cheated. Nothing. Michael Jordan represented to me an interview. He was the get for me. You know, it just was easier because we had a relationship. We were friends. They don't get that. Had Ed Gordon done that, it would have been cool. As a woman, I got to be fucking him, you know, and it's so unfortunate. And that's what I'm talking about. Again, I keep going back to this Me Too situation. That was wrong. <laughs> wow. That was wrong. You know, um, Michael, Michael Jordan, Gerald Levert. who else did they pin on me? Um, wait a minute. See, this is why I'm still not good at marketing, because I got a book coming out. And all <laughs> this is in the book. And I'm sitting up here telling you everything. It's going
0: got- to live on YouTube. I mean, you know, it'll be out there.
2: But I know. But um, it, it's a laundry list this long of who I slept with you know, coming out of BET, and it's so absurd, and it's so ridiculous, and in all fairness, some of the guys were lying, too, because that was cool to say they had bagged me, you know, because I was Madeline, you know, and um, then when the song came out, I was really mad, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, 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 I didn't get down like that, you know, I was a journalist, I understood what everybody understands, in this business, you got to have relationship to get people to open up to you and talk to you. And um, I was good at that. I was good at it.
0: Had this VP done this job, or they just were in man just managed everything, but didn't know how the work got done?
2: I think he had a, a background in television before, but even with that, having a background in television and coming to run a network, totally different. You know, understanding um, the business and how all these pieces fit together for the benefit of the network and just being thrust into this position to do it. It, it. We were all so young and I just keep coming back to that. So young, inexperienced, learning on the, you know, on the fly. We were literally building the airplane while we were flying it. Right. You yeah. know, literally. Um And we did damn good work. I mean, even today, nothing could touch BET in the 90s. You just couldn't. You couldn't. BET in the 80s couldn't touch BET in the 90s. It was like this explosion where they found all the right talent and we killed it. When we got on, we killed it. We had the right producers. We had the right energy, the right vibe, the right connection. Because we were young and hip-hop was so big and newsmakers were still kind of uh, relevant where we could get to them. um, That it was just the perfect storm for us in a black situation, you know, and we killed it.
0: So how, I mean, how shocked were you then or... Well you are you were already gone then by the time that um by Bob when he sold
1: oh,
2: yeah.
0: the network to v, uh to Viacom and whatnot. So yeah. how did you look at it then, knowing what you guys did and, and all the pioneering that you did and and, and and um everything that you accomplished and and um taking it to the levels that you did and then the around in 06, when things kinda of start going in a different direction? Yeah. How do you look at all of that?
2: I think Stephen Hill really tried at the beginning. I think he really tried to continue that role um, of making us the voice, the source, the go-to for Black important topics, not just entertainment, but Black importance. Um, But again, it came down to money. And Viacom is like, we're going to take you, you're going to make us some money. (laughs) How if I can't use you? I don't need you, and now that you're over here in our portfolio, uh, what's in your bag is really what happened. And I think Stephen did a great job with what he did um, because he got the award shows going and looking mm-hmm. really good. Right. You know, he was able to do groundbreaking things and, and produce programming or get programming, you know, on the air that hadn't been done before for a black network, and that was great. Um, but I just think that. You know, it comes down to what you want to fight for, what you what you gonna fall on the sword for, and if the fight is gonna be harder and you run the risk of losing your position, I'm gonna do what you want me to do, and I'm gonna make you some money doing that. And I think that's what happened. I really think that's what happened.
0: What do you think fed into the? It, it was like all of a sudden everything had to go street, you know, and hip hop and whatnot. We totally went away mm-hmm. from the art, and the, I mean, the music was changing as well. But I, I guess how did you because you've been in the forefront of black pop culture for all this time, and then we hit and, and it's it turned me off, and 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 I'm kind of like different areas of entertainment, entertainment for me just disappeared for a long period of time. It is making a bit of a comeback now, but like I said, when it was this switch to like the streets and hip hop and, and and youth, how'd you? How'd you uh, process all that? Are you
2: talking about like gangster rap? Are you talking about when we went went in that direction? I mean, pretty much. Rap. Pretty much. All that that was by design. There's conspiracy theories on the internet about how these record label execs got together in a room and made this decision in a table and said, this is about profitability and this um, private prison system. And... That was a real conversation that happened. Was I at the table? Absolutely not. But you're not going to tell me with the sources that I have that told me that this happened, that this went down that way. You're going to tell me all of them are lying. You're not going to tell me that because these are people that had X access to those people that made that decision. And so, um, you know, I don't know how many times I can say that Reg, because it's unfortunate because even saying this and having these conversations with you, it all comes back down to the money because now it's all about pussy. You know, everything is about women and sex. And, you know, now women are the aggressors with sexuality and stuff now. And that's a market too. You know, it always comes back to the money and that's just, what every evolution goes in, they don't really care about doing what's right, but even with that, people have got to keep in mind and teach their children that there's gangster rap, there's money rap, there's, you know, sex rap, all this stuff that's swirling around, because it's all the same, different generations, just different topics. Right, right. You still got to think for yourself. You still got to get up and be able to live with yourself. So no matter what you see Cardi doing or Megan doing or this one doing or whatever, whether you agree with it or not. And quite frankly, I'm proud of them. I love everything. they're Because if the Kardashians could make all the money they're making off their bodies and their coochies, get that money, girl. Get that money, Cardi. Get that money, Erica Banks. Get that money, um, uh, Meg. Get, get that money. Because at the end of the day, I'm an actress. I'm gonna go out here, I'm a rap, I'm a singer, I'm gonna do I'ma do this act, then I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna be a wife and, and a mom. I'm good with that. You know? Marilyn Monroe was an actress who did it. Um what's her name? Liz Liz uh, Taylor. You know, white girls been doing it forever. They've been doing it forever. So why not? I ain't mad at them. Get that money get that money my daughter teases me she's like mommy i did everything right i went to school i went to college i, I graduated i got a law degree i'm an s you know i'm all this, and i'm broke <laughs> i said "Why are you you some funding plans tomorrow what you want to do <laughs> and i'm joking but she's broke broke is all relative
1: right right
2: you know what i mean broke is all relative she lives very good and very well but she ain't got beyonce money she ain't got you know their money but life is good. With all that money comes a whole bunch of more problems. Did he didn't lie about that. Definitely, you know? definitely. He didn't lie about that. And um, you know, I I am I actually enjoy Cardi. I actually enjoy Megan. I love it because they celebrate their bodies. And women should be able to do that. You should be able to celebrate your body. But as a consumer of that, you got to think for yourself and understand this is an act. They're not really walking around, whopping it up all over the house. You know, this is their niche. They've carved out to make some money with and good for them. You find your niche and make your money over there. You know,
0: I know. And if Jennifer's still in the chat, I know me and her have had that conversation, um, about the Cardi's and the Meg's and whatnot. And for me, um, I know I've said some things, but I, I didn't, like you said, I understand what they're doing, and also take a look at the men who had to be behind them and help them do what they're doing. Exactly. So, so I, 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 I guess for me, I hate the whole situation from the sense that I just, I just miss my balance. And I think when you guys were back in, in uh, doing your thing back in the day, miss your what balance? There was, there was a lot of balance. I listened to hip hop as much as I listened to R and B. Yes,
2: and and I it's and really- I had that
0: balance now
2: yeah, you're right
0: it's yeah. all just trash 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 and i'm like i'm not accepting this like I, yeah. so that's that's what my thing is so i know me like i said me and jen who was in there earlier i was just about to refer to her <laughs> she said that i was just about to refer to our conversations in the live chat yeah so here's I, I, the thing though.
2: um the balance because it's not out there right now because again it's about profitability and what they're going to promote and market and you know because we got a whole we got a legion of talented women who can sing and dance and do things but that that ain't hot right now. no, you know, no. that ain't the money maker right now. so it's no disrespect to Cardi and Megan this is all the white boys sitting in these offices are promoting right now because it is profitable you know, um, come back around. I don't know when, and then maybe it won't, but the balance has to come from here. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can consume that, you can consume that, but still in here and in here, it's on you to make your own balance. You know what I'm saying? Um, Because everything that you watch or or have an opinion about or experience shouldn't just come through uh, this medium, this platform you got beautiful women walking up and down the street every day. You got beautiful women on your job. you got beautiful women in the grocery store. Treat them. There's your balance because they're not, you know, performers. They're not actresses. They're not playing this role. There's your balance. It's unfortunate that we're inundated with just that one. It is. So you're going to sit there and be mad about it. Or you gonna live in your reality and create an opportunity for yourself, or for your children, or for your friends to see the balance? And that's what I do in my house, you know. Because the balance does exist; it does exist. I'm the balance, you know. I got all this shit, all these good. This is natural. I ain't had nothing sucked or plucked or inserted. No, we walk around looking like this every day. I just chose to talk about things that stimulate your intellect as opposed to things that passions. You know, it don't make me no better or no worse than anybody else. It doesn't make them any better or worse than anybody else, you know? And you got to look for your own balance.
1: I agree. And right? it's out
2: there. We've got some good programming on, on the internet. You know, we have some self-starters who are out there doing great things. It's just... The money people are promoting this one side
0: right now. Right. And like I said, that's why I started doing my thing. Because I, I, I'm not going to sit here and complain about right. out, what's out there. I'm going to go out here and try to be, you know, even if I'm just rocking with my two people in the live, in the live chat right now, right. I, I'll take that.
2: Because it'll grow. The thing about this business is to be consistent. And that's why I haven't gotten the traction because I haven't been consistent with it. I know you know, God knows I could, I can run my mouth, you know, and I say things that people want to hear and they relate to me. Um, but I'm not consistent with it. If I, But that's because I got other stuff happening in my in my life that I can't dedicate myself to it. You know, I laugh with my friends all the time. Like, yeah, I could have been Oprah. Yeah, I could have been um, Tamron or whatever. I really believe that I could have, but I took a route where I was more family centric and, um, I focused myself there and I'm getting to the point now where I can come out of it, but shit, I'm 55 years old. Is there really a market for some 55 year old cute girl, cute woman, <laughs> you know, but we'll see, we'll see, you know? And if it's not, I ain't mad, no harm, no foul. Cause I've still had a great life. You know, I'm still very proud of everything I've done and I continue to do and I'm happy. I'm happy. I can genuinely say that. I don't know if a lot of people can say that. Yeah, I don't, happy.
0: I don't know. I don't know.
2: I don't know, but I'm happy because I have always sought my own balance. Not what the world told me should make me here. I've already always figured out what would make me okay. You know, cause my, my, my being okay is so important to me. It's, I wouldn't be here. If you're not happy, you ain't gonna make it. I, I just really believe that. And that's- I think that's why we're seeing so many people self-destructing. So many people commit suicide now that bothers me, you know, the level of stroke that we have in our community, that stress and that's, you know, it's unnecessary. It's, it's just so many things that work against us that, damn it, the one thing I ain't going to give up is my happiness. I'm not doing it. You can't have it. Can't have it. Can't have it. So if I don't get back to being a personality, all right. You know, if I don't, if, if the book comes out and it flops, all right, you know, I have fun writing it. It's funny. Do um, you have a title it, for it yet? I do. I have a title for it. I'm always afraid to say stuff because, um, and it's not obvious. Everybody thinks it should be the goods. That's what. Because I, I did a little um, <laughs> survey. Everybody's like, oh, it should just be the goods. Your show should be called the Goods. The da da. The goods. The goods. The goods. And I get that. I get it. But I'm so much more than the goods, you know, and I'm so much more than where I was in the 90s. So I'll tell you, since I'm bringing all other kind of news with you, Reg, um, the title of my book is I Wish It Was That Easy. Oh, I like that. That's the title of my book, because I'm really just exploring my entire life and my potential and what could have been. And, you know, people sometimes in their curiosity can be really insensitive because they'll say things like, well, you should have been so-and-so, you should have been this, you should have been that. Yeah, I should have been, but I didn't. So what, nigga? You know, (laughs) we're hard on each other. We are. We are. (laughs) Really hard on each other. And so, you know, and thinking about that and how many times I've heard that throughout the years and, you know, all the things that happened to me where I very easily could have just like, you know started doing drugs and really got messed up, you know, because of the, the the lumps I took in this business. And I never did that. I never did that. I just always redirected and kept going and redirected and kept going. Um, but with all that, people say things and they can be hurtful. And my response to them was like, I wish it was that easy. And then I was like, damn it, that's what should be the title of the book. So that's the title of the book. And it's coming out this summer. It'll be this so summer. fun if we out of COVID. And we can sit on a beach or on vacation somewhere. It's going to be a good read. Okay. I think it and it's been 25 years in the making because I've been talking about this book since I left BET. You know, uh, people have been on me to write this book. And there were reasons why I didn't. Because, again, I never wanted to be that one who told everything about BET and just destroyed the illusion.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um And and even in the book now, I still don't do that. I still don't do that because, you know, you got to let people be who they are. Um, And then there were things that I didn't want to get into out of respect for my parents. You know, and my dad's gone now. My mom's in a situation where she's really not aware anymore. But, you know, I don't know. As long as she's on this earth, I don't want anything to upset her or make her feel bad or make her, you know, I don't know. But uh, or even my children and my husband, I don't want to, you know, but they are so I'm such an open person. They know everything. Okay. And so they're like, put the damn book out. <laughs> 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 mom, this shit is funny. Right. I mean, my kids are like, oh, my gosh, mom, 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 you know, <laughs> but they're great stories. They're great stories. And I'm not the type of person to sit up there and point fingers. And, you know, but this happened to me? Because you did this. I don't do that. You know, so it's really a funny read about a black woman in at the height of the 90s being on the most wanted list, you know, among black women uh, and what my path was and where I am now as a 55 year old woman who's still smiling and happy as shit, you know. <laughs> gotcha.
0: So, um, so what is going on? What else is going on with you? I know we're getting ready to run out of time in a way and I could talk all day, but.
2: Uh, right. What's going on with you right now uh, in your career? Uh, well, I'm a news anchor for News Anchor, News Reporter for the Black Information Network. It's a startup. Um, iHeart owns it. So it's kind of a Viacom BET situation. But we're doing some good things over there. Uh, right now, I think we're on in 144 markets, uh, as well as on the app. So it's uh, the Black Information Network. Uh, if you download the iHeart radio app, you can hear us. Um, B-I-N is what we are. What else? Um, so I got that going on. I got the book, putting the finishing touches on the book. Um, I would love to relaunch a platform here like you. Um, I don't know. And I do a lot of mentoring. Uh, people may not be aware, but I actually taught college for about almost two years at Bethune Cookman University. Okay. And, mm-hmm, I was a professor there uh, and I loved it. Every day of class, because I got to uh, teach young black people about getting into this business, what to expect, how to navigate certain situations that I had run into. Uh, And and so many of them are so successful now because they got a whole daggone studio right here in their hand. And that's so cool. You know, they're feeling it. And um, I really spent a lot of time talking and mentoring and I don't know, just sharing the wealth of my knowledge and my experiences with people. Um, What else? Um, I think uh, I'm very active with Alzheimer's and dementia. My mother suffers.
1: Okay. Sorry to hear
2: that. Um, But my mother has that. Um, and so I spent a lot of time speaking about that and did a lot of research on my own about it, just so that, you know, uh, we're uh, in my age group, a lot of us are dealing with that now and where it used to be a stigma and an embarrassing and things like that. Um, sometimes you just need to hear from somebody who's actually been through it to understand what you're dealing with. Cause I didn't have anybody, I had no one, you know, when I started this path with my mom, So I had to take a lot of classes, and a lot of classes are given by white people. And um, we really don't have that kind of support system in our community. And so I do a lot of talking about that and working with a lot of my friends about what they're going uh, through and what to anticipate and expect, because it's not easy. Um, Then, you know, I got a 29-year-old daughter. I got a 21-year-old son. I got a husband who I love more than anything in this world. And so I'm busy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which is another reason why I have not been consistent and dedicated to trying to relaunch my media career, but you know, everything in God's time is coming or it's not.
0: Are you confident that once you, um, that once you get down that path, um, right. do you think you'll be able to, um, uh, like I, I was telling you in the IMs, um, you have to have some networking. I mean, do you think you'll be able to come back and get those types of guests immediately? Oh.
2: Heck yeah. Okay. I don't think I am lost no ground with that. Okay. Uh, funny because before I went to uh the Black Information Network, I was doing a morning show here with Radio One on W O L, the flagship station. If y'all watched um Wendy last night's the station that Kathy Hughes started, um that was her first station. So I was doing this morning show there. That show was so phenomenal, but it was the hardest thing to produce because they didn't give me a staff. It was me and my best friend who I paid out of my own pocket to help me produce it. Um, And we filled four hours every morning of talk. We only had three minutes of commercials um, every break. So we literally filled four hours of, let me see, every hour I actually talked for nine minutes 60 minus nine what's that mm, 51 minutes i talked for 51 minutes four four times during the show so that's four 51 minutes each hour mm-hmm. minutes i would talk but anyway but i mean the names that we pulled to be on the show for that i mean i had michael Bibbins. i had um i can't even think of everybody right now but i had fauci my first interview that oh. was his first interview. Okay. When this COVID thing broke, the first interview he did about coronavirus was with was with me on Wol. Oh, that's dope. Uh huh. I talked to um, not Simone Sanders, but somebody from Biden's team. I talked to Trump. Wouldn't return my phone calls. Couldn't get nobody out of his camp. But I'm sure, looking at my social media, they were like, "We ain't mess with that little. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't with us." We ain't wasting our time. She's the ops. Yeah, I talked to so many different, I talked to people from Bernie's camp. I talked to, you know, us too, because it was a call-in show. And so I would have average people, not average, I I didn't mean it like that, but general people just call in and we would talk like what you have in your chat room. We would talk. And I did that. It's funny because um, they didn't have a, I actually came in behind Tom Joyner. When Tom went off the air on WOL, they created the show for me and let me have it. Um, the streaming numbers for WOL, when I took it over, even after Tom, I think when I came in, they were at like, uh, something really low, like 19 or 22%. That was the first month. The second month when I was on, it jumped to 28%. The third month I was on streaming jumped to 57%. That's how much traction I got. I don't know how, because I'm not consistent with social media either. So when I do get a platform this time, I need some young people who understand this whole social media animal because I know that the type of person I am and the gifts that I have, my Q rating would be you know, stellar again. I know that. And that's not ego. That's just I know who I am and I'm comfortable with who I am. Um, so I know that I can do a successful show. I just need the, the team around me to be able to promote it because that's all this is now. It's not just turning on the microphone and that. It's about who you can get to come and look at it, right. who you can get to come back every day to watch it. That makes the difference. So, you know, maybe the I'm really hoping that the book will get my name back out there. I can do all the talk shows and then pay my team, pay a team because I don't have a team, to do social media for me and just kill it. I just I think there's a there's space for me. that's
0: great. Like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to check out the book. Maybe you'll spare some time when that comes out, you can come back. Um, but I just really wanted to talk to you. Um, I had my own questions here, but you, you covered some stuff on your own and, and we just went with it, but I did want people to know, um, just what it takes to do some of this stuff and, 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 and then to hear from your uh, perspective and your experiences at BET and whatnot, um that's just that's that's dope. Um it's, great. it's just life. Right. And like you said, it, it comes down to team. Um
2: and, and consistency.
0: And, and well, and that's key. But the mm-hmm. team though, uh, when it is just you, like you said, I've been at the I've been the same thing. I got a a, a, a backpack over here, I got a laptop in there, cameras, lenses. Uh, I'm writing, I'm writing up the fight. I'm writing down interview questions. I'm going in here to the post fight in a press conference. I just don't think sometimes, and this is why I give people some leeway. Um, it's some people on YouTube that I disagree with strongly, but what I do, I always notice anybody that is being consistent, consistent. If you do something, you know, four or five weeks in a row, that's a lot. Cause most yep. people, most people give up on day two or three. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. Like I said, I disagree strongly with the way that a lot of guys do things, but I, I can't. I can't knock the hustle.
2: Mm-mm. Exactly. Exactly. I am not a Wendy Williams. <laughs> I never. I would never approach a job the way she did, and still does, even on her show. Still, you know. But that's her style. That's the lane she carved out for herself, and she was consistent with that shit. Yes. And she is a hundred and fifty million dollar woman yeah and i'm mad at her yeah. it ain't my style but i you know i'm mad at her she's my favorite people but i ain't mad at her but that's a personal thing um but uh yeah she stuck with it she decided this is what i'm going to do and i'm going to be consistent in my mind that's the best example i could give you right now about what you want to do reg stick to it don't let nobody talk you out of it be consistent just be consistent that's all it takes Got you. I
0: yesterday I actually asked uh, my mother in law because um, I, I just got my podcast listed on Apple Podcast, and I'm like a lot. There's a lot of iPhone users, and I was like, "Why well, I need y'all to go in there and uh, give me a review, give me a rating." Mm-hmm. And I tried to walk my my uh, my mother in law through it, and this was like a 35 45 minute exercise for her, whereas it's a 30 second thing for any for for young people. But I'm just like. It's crucial because it's people like me that need that help from from their inner circle. Because we're going to go in there and give Madeline some reviews and some ratings and run you up right away. Uh But my poor mother-in-law, I I stopped over there yesterday. and Again, this took her an hour. And she had to get another family member involved to do it. And I'm like, geez.
2: Because, you know, in a certain generation, they're intimidated by tech. Right. And it's just that simple. They're intimidated by it. They don't understand it. And, you know, they didn't come up. I can say, we we didn't come up with, you know, all that click, point, click, do this, and and, 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 and. we didn't come up like that. So it's unfamiliar. And uh, a lot of people haven't stayed adaptable to it. Right. And so, yeah, it takes an hour, 30 second function can take an hour, right? especially if you're trying to explain it, you know? I
0: think I think the next family gathering, I'm just going to set up a table and tell everybody to leave their phone with me for five minutes, and I'm just going to do my own reviews on about 15 phones. That's how I'm going to do
2: that. Sometimes you got to do it like that. Exactly. Sometimes you got to do it. That's your focus group.
0: Exactly. Well... I would love to keep you. Um, like I said, this episode should be out there on uh, Apple Podcasts later today, Google Podcast, as well as uh, Spotify. I really appreciate you. I'm looking forward to the book. Um, I really wasn't even planning it. I didn't know about the book before we talked, but, uh, that's great information. Uh, and I look forward to it. And, uh, like you said, I, I just would appreciate it when you get back to the scene. You know, I'll be tuning in. I, I I was one of those people who, when you told me about the uh, the app and that we could check it out online, you know, I would tap in and and, and listen to you a couple of times. I know I, it was a brother on there that owned a nightclub or something in DC, a big nightclub. I checked out that interview and and, and a few others and everything. So I'm looking forward to when you do make it back in It'd be interesting. I mean, you, do you think it could be... Um, we we see all of these... I don't know if it's life, what network that is that did the TLC and the other movies, but do you think this book could generate that type of buzz?
2: Mm, I doubtful. Only because I haven't been um, prevalent in hip-hop pop culture Okay, through the years. Wendy's been a mainstay. You know my name. You know the song. But they don't really know who's mad. These young folks, they don't know me. They don't know me. They just know that lyric in the song. Okay. you know. So had I been, had more of a presence, absolutely. But mm-mm. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: And I don't know. I, I, would it be fun? Heck, yeah, that would be fun to, to do something like that. But is that my push?
1: Mm-mm. I okay. just want
2: to do what I enjoy. you know. I want to talk. I want to talk. And I want to talk about important things. And I want people to tune in, be entertained, learn something. And maybe just think about it from a
0: different perspective. Yeah. Echoes, echoes everything that I say. So again, thank you for your time. Uh, appreciate you being on here. And, um, you know, like I said, hopefully we can link up in the future and, and do something else.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Reg. All right. Appreciate you. I'm gonna let
0: you get out of here.
2: All right. I'll talk to you again soon.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Let me stop this real quick. All right. Hopefully, you enjoyed that discussion. Um, you know, it's a learning experience for me. I'll be honest. Um, you know, I've been doing my thing over here, and and I can write the rules and erase them and change them, and you know, whatever, whatever. But you know, to talk to somebody who has earned a living, um, you know, doing this and and working in radio. Um, everything that she accomplished at BET, the experiences that she had, interviewing the people that she mentioned. She affirmed some of her, some of what she said affirmed what I thought and, and kind of how I operate and how I go about doing my, my thing. So that was, that was dope for like four or five things to know that I was on the, I was, I was on the right page. Just from watching her, just and, and watching others who do this. But then, you know, the payoff is and she was, you know, she she I think she mentions on there that she's been a professor or at least taught at Bethune Cookman. So she gave me some praise, you know, in a in a follow-up phone call and whatnot. Um and then she gave me some, 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 uh, some constructive criticism, some strong, what you, you know, you need to do this, you got to do that. And, um, she talked on some things, or she talked, spoke on a few things, and I didn't jump in with follow up questions. Now, I, in, in my defense, I wanted to do, to do the whole interview over here for the podcast that's really where i wanted it to the discussion to to live that would have been over phone and there can be that more uh immediate uh back and forth there's no lag um some of you you'll see you'll hear in some spots where there was some lag major lag like it it paused or you know it was that that stretched out slow motion in, in, in the signal and whatnot, that happened three or four times. But um, it's it's different doing a um, you know an interview on Wi-Fi and and, and um, with this technology. So it, it looks sloppy. You you step on each other. You. You try to jump in and it i don't it it just doesn't it it, is i don't know if immediate it's latency lag and it just to me it just doesn't sound right it might not it might not even look right on video there was one point in there where her something got messed up and her uh audio wasn't synced with the video and whatnot i hadn't seen that before so um but she said you know you gotta you gotta Ask a follow up question. You got to do this. You got to do that. And that's I don't don't have any problem. I I know. I know that I could be better. I think she says she graduated from college at 19. That's another thing, man. You talk when you talk to people who you're smarter than all the time or as smart as all the time or a little bit smart as. You can get in your comfort zone and think highly of yourself, but like I said, you can meet a professional. Eye opening, eye opening. But I, I again, man, three thousand uh, percent gratification. You know, appreciation in her taking the time to come over to my space uh, and, and and chop it up with me. Very, very down to earth person, man. Um, quickly before I get out of here again I'm serious please go to uh if you listen on whatever platform you listen on if you're able to give a rating leave a rating for the episode if you're able to you know five stars please and if you can leave a review one or two sentences it means all the world all the world especially with the podcast being on Apple Podcasts I mean it, it helps me it helps that that algorithm shit or anybody that's scrolling by the thumbnail and whatnot. I do my part and try to give you good descriptions on the 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 uh, the the, uh, the episodes to not waste your time. And, you know, you can help me out. The listeners, the, listen is, the listen is good money. I appreciate it. Three thousand percent just a little bit of a little bit of extra effort you know if you can hit that rating or that, or leave a short review it means all, everything in the world i'd be over over the moon over the moon anyway let me get on out of here until next week until yeah until next week um i was i was i was so uh on the fence about it whether or not um you know i was going to get this 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 uh this show done and it did So I feel, you know, I accomplished something this week. Hope you do the same. Again, I don't have a a tagline on here. You know, pay me no mind on the YouTube channel. But I didn't say it at the end of this live stream. So I'm going to say it over here. You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Peace.